So just a little light reading, I suppose, for everybody uh, with Ezekiel. Last time I was here, I did Jonah, and so I think, I think my shtick is like troubled prophets. You know, that's the uh, that's what I get to do. Yeah, my name is Craig Hill, and um, I'm I'm good friends with Craig Cooper. So um, so anyway, he was uh, he's out of town, and so he asked me to to come. But it's a real privilege and a, and a joy to be with you all. I love what Tim Mackey is doing with the Bible Project. Even when we talk about this passage, that one of the key passages we're going to look at is um, this idea of eat this scroll, eat this book. Ezekiel is commanded to eat this and to ingest it, to make it part of him. And I just think about what you all are doing with going through the entire Bible. And sometimes it might feel like it's a lot, but at the same time, you are eating this book, you are ingesting it, and it is life. And there is uh, there's great reward after going through this. So I love what Tim is doing with the Bible Project. I think he's making it accessible in a way that um, was not available for years and years. So anyhow, thinking about Ezekiel, it reminds me a little bit of um, the Lord of the Rings, um, Sam and Frodo. You guys saw the movies or read the books. And uh, these two hobbits are on their way to Mordor, and they've got this ring that they have to destroy to save the universe, or at least Tolkien's universe. Um, and they have this conversation. And it's some, sometimes it's going well, sometimes it's not going so well for Sam and Frodo. Mostly not going so well. Um, but, they, but Sam and Frodo are having this conversation, and, uh, um, and uh, uh, Sam says, we shouldn't be here at all if we'd known more about it when we started. But I suppose it's often the way. The brave things in the old tales and songs, Mr. Frodo, adventures as I used to call them, I used to think that they were the things that wonderful folk of the stories went out and looked for because they wanted them, because they were exciting and life was a bit dull, a kind of sport, as you might say. But that's not the way of it with the tales that really mattered or the ones that stay in the mind. Folk seem to have just landed in them. Usually their paths were laid that way, just as you put it. But I expect they had lots of chances like us of turning back, only they didn't. And if they had, we shouldn't know because we'd have forgotten about them. We hear about those just as they went on, and not all to a good end, mind you, at least not what folk inside a story and not outside of it call a good end. And then Sam asked Frodo, I wonder what sort of story we're in. And, he, and Frodo says, you know, the, the old tales never end, but the people in them come and go when their parts are ended. Our part will end later or sooner. And I can't help but think about this story when you think about Ezekiel and where Ezekiel is at in the arc of this great story of God that has its ups and downs, its blessings and its cursings, and where Ezekiel comes. And what I want to do today and for the next two weeks, because I'll be here next week too, is I want to talk about what is Ezekiel's part. Ezekiel's not just a book in the Bible. Ezekiel was a man. And what was his part in this story? And to ask the questions about what did God call him to do and to be, and what was his message, and how did God prepare him? And so today, I, just a couple of things about that I want to ask you all as we think about our own stories in light of what Ezekiel has done and what we're doing in God's story, and to ask you three questions, and myself while I'm at it, really. I mean, I get up here, and I'm just preaching to myself most of the time, but, and you guys get to listen, but um, 
But to ask you guys three questions, and I'm gonna, we're going to find it in Ezekiel, but to ask you to reflect on this too. One, where is God showing up right now in your life? Where is God showing up? What has God called you to do? And how has God prepared you, or how is God preparing you to do it? So where has God shown up or is showing up? What has God called you to do and how has God prepared you or is preparing you to do what he's called you to do? So let's look at where God shows up. Where does God show up in Ezekiel? Turn, turn to the very beginning of Ezekiel. Ezekiel is a fascinating book. I love this. I love the Route 66 thing because when I get a new Bible, like the, the, the books that I don't read often, the pages all stick together. Does this happen to you guys? I know with apps that doesn't happen as much because they don't stick together. But... Um, uh, but Ezekiel might have been a book where the pages stick together a little bit, right? Like, when was the last time, like, you don't run a church growth campaign on Ezekiel, preaching through Ezekiel. So sometimes our Bibles stick together there. But Ezekiel 1.1, it says this, In the thirteenth year of the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I was among the exiles by the Kabar Canal, the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. On the fifth day of the month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiachin. The word of the Lord came to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi, in the land of the Chaldeans, by the Kabar Canal, and the hand of the Lord was upon him there. And the first thing we have to understand is this idea, the, the, or, the story, the ark, what part does he play, where is he at in the, in the story arc? And you guys have been looking at the story of God, God's story in the Old Testament so far, and this idea that Ezekiel finds himself at this very low point in the story arc. This is after um, King David had come, there had been a great reign of his son Solomon, the height of the empire, and then you had this decline. You had a division of the kingdoms, and now you had this decline, and there was enough decline, enough idolatry, that eventually the Babylonians came. And the Babylonians came in three waves to take Jerusalem. The third wave was when they destroyed the temple, but Ezekiel was taken out in one of the first of the two waves. And so Ezekiel is a it's a prisoner or a slave. I mean, what they did was they went in, they took, they conquered the land around Jerusalem. And anybody who was kind of bright and shiny, like some people went in hidden caves, some people fought for their homes, they died. But the rest of the kind of bright and shiny, if you conquer, if you ever conquer the known world, little instructions for you, you got to decide what you're going to do with the people you conquer. Okay, this is what Alexander the Great had to decide this. You know, a lot of people had to decide this. The Babylonians, their decision was you take the best and the brightest and you take them back and you parade them through your city because you don't want like, you know, one, a peg-legged old guy, you know, walking through. You look, we conquered these people. So they take the best and the brightest. Guys like Daniel, guys like the, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they take these guys and they take them back to Babylon. And Ezekiel is among one of the waves of the people that go with them. And you have to think about what Ezekiel has seen up to this point. Foreign armies marching through his homeland, destroying homes, killing people, men, women, children. Only those that were lucky enough go into slavery, into labor in a foreign land. And Ezekiel has gone through that. And what's fascinating is that they're in exile. They're, we think about this. Ezekiel is sitting in a refugee camp. 
And he's sitting, it says in your Bible, I don't know what it says in your Bible, but in my Bible it says the Kabar Canal, which has this kind of, it has this romantic, you know, like the Panama Canal. It's like, no, this is an irrigation ditch dug from the Euphrates River so it can, so it can water crops inland. So this, this Israelite refugee camp, you think this is more like, this would be more like a Syrian refugee camp in like Lebanon today? People driven out of their homes because of war? Or you might think like a migrant farm worker town in the Central Valley or something like that. Or you might think just a UN refugee camp where people are fleeing from, uh, from, from drug lords or something like that. But here he is, and as he's sitting by this irrigation ditch, he has a vision. God's glory appears to him. And this is the first question. Where does God show up? He shows up in an unlikely place, really a, a God-forsaken place, if you will. And Tim does a great job on this by saying, what in the world is God doing here by an irrigation ditch in a refugee camp? And this is the first place as the readers that were invited to ask the question, where is God showing up where he shouldn't be? Because it's kind of, that's the way he is. He shows up in the places that you wouldn't expect. And he shows up by an irrigation ditch in a refugee camp. And this book begins by asking the question, what is God doing here? Why is it no longer in Jerusalem? Why is it no longer in the temple? And as we saw in the video, most of the first half of the book is going to be exploring the question about what in the world is God's glory, his kavod, the weightiness of his presence? Why is it not back there? And why is it showing up to this guy in this refugee camp? And that's the first question I just want to ask you guys. We know what God's like. You know what God's like. And maybe over the years of following Jesus, or maybe you haven't followed Jesus, and you're wondering what God is like. But over the years, you've probably been in places where you're like, look, God has no business being here, but he showed up here. I got news for you. God has no business being in Southern California. He's got no business being here. But he shows up because he loves you, and he loves me, and he loves these people. He loves this whole area. He, he loves Mexico. He loves Northern California. Maybe Northern California. I don't know. But <laughs> God has no business. He has no business being here. But God shows up. And my question to you is, where, where is God showing up that he has no business being in your life? Maybe it's your work. Maybe it's relationships, something like that. But where is God showing up? And it's just a call for reflection as we think about Ezekiel, a refugee sitting by an irrigation ditch, passing time. And he looks up, and all of a sudden, the appearance of the likeness of the glory of God is coming right at him. And I just want to ask you, is there a place right now in your life where the appearance of the likeness of the glory of God wants to come at you? And so let's just, let's reflect on that as we keep going. So the first question, um, where does God show up? But the second question with Ezekiel is this question, what did God call Ezekiel to do? What did God call Ezekiel to do? And what did God call Ezekiel to be? Now let's look at who Ezekiel is. Look at one, um, let's look at back, back to one, three. I'm going to use the water here. In one, three... It says, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel, the priest. 
the son of Buzi, in the land of the Chaldeans, by the Kabar Canal, and the hand of the Lord was upon him there. Who is Ezekiel? Um, Ezekiel is a priest. Ezekiel is a priest. Um, and as the, he, Ezekiel was turning 30 that year, and as a 30-year-old, if he were still in Jerusalem, he would have been appointed as a priest in the temple. And so one of the things, as the original readers are reading this, if they know the Torah, they know that Ezekiel, there's great irony here because you have this priest, this burnout, post-traumatic stress priest, sitting by an irrigation ditch in a refugee camp. He's supposed to be ministering in the temple, reconciling people to God. You think about a priestly ministry. A priestly ministry is all about being kind of this mediator between God and man, that people would come broken with sin and you would offer this mediation between them and God. And Ezekiel was a priest and you would imagine that he spent his whole life getting ready for this and thinking about, yes, my vocation is I'm going to mediate between God and humans. I'm going to, I'm going to bring peace between God and humans. But that's not the vocation that God calls Ezekiel to. What does God call Ezekiel to be? It's not a rhetorical question. I'm asking, like, what, what, does, he, what, does, he, what does God call Ezekiel to be? He calls him to be a prophet, which is not a priest. Prophets are disruptors. They're not reconcilers. They're the person who puts their finger in your chest. They're not the person who brings you to God. They're the person who confronts and your life. You probably might have people, like in our culture, a lot of people think they're prophets, but they're just ranting, right? <laughs> but, okay, but God has appointed true, in, true prophets that are true disruptors for the glory of God. And Ezekiel is not called to be a priest, but a prophet. Look at 2, chapter 2, verse 1. He said to me, son of man, stand on your feet and I will speak with you. And as he spoke to me, the spirit entered into me and set me on my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. And he said, Son of man, I send you to the people of Israel, to the nation of rebels who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. The descendants also are impudent and stubborn. I send you to them, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God. And whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they're a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And if you're the first reader of this, and you hear about this priest who sees this vision, because priests would see visions all the time. They were in the temple. And this idea that they were close to, they were close to the presence of God. But this priest is seeing a vision, and God is now saying, you're going to say this. You're, you are going to say the words of the prophet, thus saith the Lord. And when they are done, when all things are done, they will know that there has not been a priest among them, but that there has been a prophet among them. And so the call of Ezekiel, the vocation of Ezekiel, what God has, the work that God has for Ezekiel is not this reconciling priest work that he's prepared his whole life to do. God has called him to be a prophetic disruptor 
and everyone will know after Ezekiel is done that a prophet has been among them. Now, here's, this is the, the bane of the prophets. When the prophets are among the people, the people don't realize it. Notice what, he's, what God says. After it's all over, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And as we think about the call of Ezekiel, Son of man, go to the house of Israel. Speak my words to them. And you will say, thus saith saith the Lord, that it will be after you speak this that they will know. And he's being called to move from this vocation of being a priest, reconciling people to God, serving in the presence of God, to being a prophet, challenging and disrupting people, serving in the presence of a rebellious Uh, of a rebellious people. And you have to think, again, Ezekiel is a man before anything. Uh, It's a book of the Bible, but he's a man, and we have to put ourselves in his shoes. And maybe this is another point of reflection. What is your vocation? What is it that God has called you to do? What is the God-honoring work that God has asked you to do. Now, sometimes that aligns with your career. And I don't want you to confuse vocation and career. You probably are doing work, but there's other things. There might be, there's a sense among all of us, all humans, all people who are following Jesus, of the sense that God has called you to a specific something or other. It might align with your career and how you make money, but it also might simply be something that you are called to do, a person you are called to be some kind of skill, some kind of gift. We oftentimes talk about spiritual gifts would be a great way to think about vocation. This idea of that God has empowered you for God-honoring work. And I simply want you, one thing, another question for us to reflect on, not only where is God showing up, but what is your vocation? What's the work that God has called you to do? Now, for Ezekiel, and I don't know what your vocation is. I don't know what the work that God called you to do. But the call for Ezekiel was to preach judgment and to do it on a conquered people, a people who had already witnessed death and destruction, their own homes leveled, maybe their own family members killed. But his call was to go to them and say, you think it's bad now, it's going to get worse. And he, his, the call is to preach judgment. As a matter of fact, as we think about this, the story arc of the nation of Israel, you think about this idea, go back to the Exodus generation. They're in slavery in Egypt. But God sends Moses, and the, he leads them out. They come to the Red Sea. It, we can't go to the Red Sea. Oh, but then God parts the Red Sea, and they make it through. They get to the other side of the Red Sea. They go up to Mount Sinai, right? And then when, when, Mount, when, uh, when Moses comes down from Mount Sinai, they're worshiping the golden calf. It's, it's all this ups and downs. You, then David comes along, and then you have this downfall, and downfall, and downfall, and downfall, and downfall. The Babylonians come and capture Israel. This is where Ezekiel's at. And this is where he preaches, at this lowest point. And Ezekiel, as we think about Sam and Frodo, what part does Ezekiel play in this story? What's his vocation? He is going to be the last judgment, the last prophet to preach judgment 
And what's interesting about this is next week we're going to look at Ezekiel's also the first prophet to be able to preach hope. But it will not come until Jerusalem has fallen. And what we're talking about today goes up to Ezekiel 33, where you have this person coming back from Jerusalem who says the Babylonians have utterly destroyed Jerusalem. And that then allows Ezekiel to move into the preaching of hope. But up until that point, what you need to do, Ezekiel, is you need to preach judgment and that there's been idolatry and you need to preach it to these people who are all post-traumatic stress, all these people who have experienced this. You're to preach to them. And here's the great news. No one is going to listen to you. I'm going to call you to do crazy stuff. I'm going to call you to sit in, this, in, the, in the middle of this refugee camp and I'm going to call you to make this scale model of Jerusalem. You're going to play in the dirt for a while and you're going to lend wage, you're going to lay siege to your toy city. This is what you're going to do. And then I'm going to call you, I'm going to ask you to chop off all your hair. It's at this prophetic act. And then I'm going to ask you to, to act like the scapegoat. I'm going to ask you to tie yourself up and lay on your side and to do it every day for a year. And I'm going to ask you to eat your food and to cook your food over, well, first he says over human poop, like Tim said, to cook your food over that. But then he says, okay, you can use cow dung if you, if, just to make it a little better. Um, this is what you're called to do. This is it. This is your call. This is your vocation, Ezekiel. This is it. You're not going to be a priest. You're going to be a prophet, and no one's going to listen to you. What's your vocation? What's the thing that you feel like God has called you to do that even if nobody else listened to you, you would still do it? What's the thing, the message you feel like God has put on your heart, and even if no one will listen to you, you have the strength, the internal conviction that you would still say it. That's vocation. Ezekiel is called to vocation. And it's not easy. Look at what it says in 315 after he sees all this stuff. I mean, talk about a crazy couple days, right? These visions and all of this. At the end of chapter 3, in verse 13, actually in the middle of chapter 3, verse, um, verse 15, um, Ezekiel says this, verse 14, 314. The spirit lifted me up and took me away, and I went in bitterness in the heart and my spirit, the hand of the Lord being strong upon me. And I came to the exiles at Tel Abib, who were dwelling by the Kabar Canal, and I sat where they were dwelling, and I sat there overwhelmed among them for seven days. You're not going to be a priest, Ezekiel. You're going to be a prophet, and you're going to be a disrupting prophet, and nobody's going to listen to you. And Ezekiel, what does Ezekiel do? For seven days, he just sits overwhelmed by this call. Where is he at in the story of God? He has a part to play. And the people come. They play their parts in various ways. Ezekiel has a part to play. So where is God showing up? What is your vocation? We heard about Ezekiel's vocation. But we also know that God does not give a vocation. He does not give a call without some sense of preparation. And we want to ask the third question, how does God prepare Ezekiel for his call? Look at uh, chapter 1, verse 28. It says this, Like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud of the rain, so was the appearance of the brightness all around. 
Such was the appearance, and this is what this is the, the phrase that, uh, that we show, showed on the video. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of God. And when I saw it, I fell on my face and heard the voice of the one speaking. The first thing that God does for Ezekiel to give him a, uh, after this idea of vocation, the first thing he does to prepare him is God gives Ezekiel a vision of the glory, the weight of God. And I think for me, for you, when God calls you to something, there's something, sometimes God will give us a vision outside of our current circumstances. He'll give us a vision outside of just our community, a larger vision, a global vision. And it seems like in scripture, oftentimes when God wants to give his people the the sturdiness to go through. You think about the book of Revelation and these people that oh, we're going to go through this great tribulation time that God takes them. The very first thing in the book of Revelation is this, this going to the throne room of God and seeing the one on the throne with the scroll in his hand and there's a lamb that comes along and at the vision of the lamb and at the vision of the throne room, everybody lays down in worship. Ezekiel sees a vision like that. As a matter of fact, the book of Revelation gets a lot of its imagery from Ezekiel. But it's seeing that vision, that, that weight of God, that will buoy people up, will buoy Ezekiel up, as he has to proclaim a message that no one will listen to. And maybe you've had that experience, where you felt the weight of what God, who God is, and what God is like, and it has sturdied you, it has stabled you when things are not going so well, when people aren't listening. Second thing that God does, he not only does he give him a vision of his glory. Look at 2.1. He said to me, son of man, stand on your feet and I will speak with you. And as he spoke to me, the spirit entered into me and set me on my feet. And I think a second thing, as we think about our gifts, our vision, our vocation, that God will send his spirit into us and put us on our feet that God will move our feet by means of the Spirit. I think one thing, as we think about this idea, of um, that God will oftentimes communicate with us by means of the Spirit. He will empower us by means of His Spirit. He will come in and He will energize us by means of His Spirit. Where God's finger points, God's hand provides. And God will move us by means of the Spirit. All right, well, um, yeah, okay, let's keep going. Um, third thing, God gives a vision of his glory. God gives his spirit. But I think a third thing, and this is, I, I want to camp here for just a second. Look at 2.10. Actually, look back up in 2.8. But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Be not rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. And when I looked, behold, a hand was stretched out to me. And behold, a scroll of a book was in it. He spread it out before me, and it had writing on the front and the back, and there were written on it words of lamentation and mourning and woe. And he said to me, Son of man, eat whatever you find here, and speak with my words to them. Sorry, I... Uh, I, I missed my spot here. Eat the scroll, go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he gave me the scroll to eat. And he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly with this scroll that I give you, and fill your stomach with it. Then I ate it, and it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. 
God is going to call Ezekiel to ingest the message. I, this image of eat this book. And I think as we, as we think about just the totality of what this is and the idea that God has revealed himself in it and even our calls in, in light of following God, in light of hearing what Ezekiel says, this idea of take and ingest this book ingest this message, ingest this scroll. Ezekiel is called to kind of make it part of him. And as we do this, I think that the, the, the vision becomes clearer and our, our goal and what we're doing to move out becomes more, um, well, it becomes more stable. You know, it reminds me, uh, in 2012, um, I graduated um, from Fuller Seminary with a PhD. And a PhD in New Testament. And um, I just love the Bible, but they gave me a PhD anyway. Um, and um, I wrote a dissertation and all this, and I was pastoring at a church, and um, I wanted to do more academic work, so I resigned at the church, and I was moving into academic world, academic work. And, um, you know, during that time, a lot of things are happening in the academic world. It's not the greatest. A lot of contraction, a lot of just generationally, there's a lot of things going on. But it became difficult to find work. I eventually landed to, do some, um, to teach at Fuller Seminary um, as an affiliate faculty member. But um, we were having a hard time in terms of myself. It was going slowly, and so I needed to find other work to help support the family. And, um, you know, I was looking for other work to do. And, you know, it's not, you look like, what are marketable skills that come out of a PhD program? Not many. Like, you know, th those, these are the kind of things that you, you start to look for. So to, to fill time, and like, and as a placeholder, I was talking with someone at the church that I was a pastor at, and they were like, well, they were doing some retail work um, with this company that, uh, that basically set up displays or, or helped keep track of what displays were in, uh, in grocery stores. And I was like, look, I need, I need the money, I need the job. And so um, I signed up, uh, got trained, and what I had, this was my job. I had a PhD, it was great. <laughs> this was my job. They, they gave me this handheld device, and it would look, it was honest, it was honest, God-honoring work. There's nothing wrong about this work, but it was not the vision, it was not the vocation that I had imagined, right? But I got this little thing, and my job was to go around in, uh, in grocery stores and scan all the items on end caps. So I would take every op, everything and on the bottom would be a barcode and I'd take my little dealio and I would scan it. And every time I scanned it, it would ding, 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 ding. There's one end cap. Let's go to another one. An end cap is the end of an aisle, right? In a grocery store. Ding, ding. Okay, look. I was a thousand miles away from my vocation. I was a thousand, Ezekiel was literally a thousand miles away from his vocation. I was a thousand miles away from my vocation. And I remember this one day, I was in a Rite Aid in Costa Mesa. Now, it just got real, right? <laughs> I was in a Rite Aid in Costa Mesa, and I am ding, ding, and like I'm, I'm right by the pharmacy line, like people who need their meds right, are in line at the pharmacy, and this guy, I think he was homeless, but he had no teeth, and he came in, and I'm ding, and he's all, oh, that would be a horrible job to have. <laughs> <sighs> Man, I'll tell you what, it was not, I, I was so far away from my vocation, doing a little teaching on the side, but it was not, it was not a great time, not a great time, and I remember, there was one day, I was in a Ralph's, I don't know why I remember this stuff, but I was on the warm beverage aisle, 
Um, I, I think it was like a, I think it was like an end cap of like Diet Dr Pepper or something like that. But I'm, I'm ding, and I remember. I don't know. How, I don't know if you've ever experienced this. I, my bet is that you have, because you're a follower of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, there are times where God will communicate with you. Maybe not a voice. Maybe not a voice. In this case, it wasn't a voice, but it was words that were impressed on my on my mind. And I remember. I remember hearing, or or just the words were impressed. It's going to be okay. Now, anybody could say that to me, and Kelly had said a hundred times, it's going to be good, it's going to be fine. But those words came with a weight that only is accompanied by the speech of God. And you've probably experienced that. You've heard certain words, or maybe it's happened to you, and you've heard certain words, and you try to say them to somebody else, but your voice is not weighty enough to carry the weight that it came with you on. But God gave, God, and, and I remember, I remember leaning and crying tears down my cheeks on Dr. Pepper because God had shown up in a place, he had no business showing up in the warm beverage aisle in Ralph's. <laughs> but the weightiness of God will go wherever it pleases. And it will encourage whomever it pleases. And it will push you into whatever direction that God is pleased with. I don't know if it's a matter, I don't know if it was a prophetic call. Look, I just know it was going to be okay. He didn't even say it was going to be good. He just said it was going to be okay. <laughs> but the weight of it, I don't know how many times I've gone back to the weight of that to solidify that God has called me to a vocation. And I would imagine you probably have had experiences that you go back to, like Ezekiel on the days when he's laying down eating food cooked over poop. Went back. Remember the K-Bar Canal? Remember that irrigation ditch? Remember what God did? Remember what it did to you? You had to spend seven days just reflecting on it. God will do that. If God's going to call you, if God's going to give you a vocation, if God's going to ask you to do something, God will give you the strength of conviction to do it. As a matter of fact, look at what it says that he does with Ezekiel. Look at 3.7. This is, I love, uh, man, this verse, this is big time. This whole thing is awesome. Like, you've got to read through the whole book of Ezekiel. We can't do the whole book of Ezekiel. We're just doing the first three chapters, kind of, right? This is so good. Look at 3.7. But to the house of Israel, the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you. Thank you. For they are not willing to listen to me. Because all the house of Israel have hard foreheads and stubborn hearts. Behold, I have made your face as hard as their faces, your forehead as hard as their foreheads. Ezekiel, I'm going to make you they have hard heads and hard hearts. I'm going to give you a hard head, but I'm going to give you a soft heart. And I'll eventually give them a soft heart, but I'm going to give you, I'm going to prepare you to be as stubborn and hard-headed as you need to be to a people who will not listen to your message. <laughs> and it's after this, Ezekiel's like, oh my gosh, I need to spend some time on this. But have you thought about your vocation? Have you ever felt a thousand miles from your vocation? Perhaps God 
is waiting to give you a vision of his glory. And maybe after today, you might go home, and even today as we, as we cl- kind of close up here, um, maybe today is a day where you just pray, God, I need a vision of your glory to sustain me through whatever I'm going through right now. I just need a vision of your glory. And that, look, that's a fine prayer. That's a prayer that you pray to God because you need it. You want it. You, need, you feel like, God, you've called me into this season. I don't know what it means, but I need a vision. Maybe you're in the middle of a story. And you're waiting for the weight of God to show up. But let me just say this. The weight of God has been showing up in people's stories for millennia. This happened 2,500 years ago. The weight of God showed up there. The weight of God has showed up in my life. And I would imagine if we went around this room, every person who's here today would have some kind of story about the weight of God, the, the glory of God, the kavod of God, the coming to bear in their own lives. And if we had time, we could go around. We, we don't, but to re- think and reflect. And as we close up, let's, just, let's, let's spend some time reflecting. So let's just bow our heads and let's just think for just a second. And I just want to invite you, as your eyes are closed, just to ask God to remind you of a time that the weight of his glory came to bear in your life. And as it comes to mind, just thank God for bringing it to mind. Thank you, Lord. And if you're in the middle of a season right now where you need a vision of God's glory, just ask him. Ask him to provide it. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this man, Ezekiel who after all he had been through, heard your call, was obedient to your call. And because he did not turn back, we know his story. We wonder how many people did turn back. And we don't know their story. But we know know his because he was faithful. We pray, Father, help us to lean into that faithfulness, to follow your call, to lean into our vocations, and to love you with all our hearts. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.